0: Yo, 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 welcome back to another episode of Husky Talk. Give it up for our hosts today, our Gretchen, Anna, and Mandy. This week on our show, we have the author of Champion of Alaskan Huskies, a book about the father of the Iditarod. Please give it up for Katie Mangelsdorf.
1: Hello, Katie, and welcome to Husky Talk. How are you? Fine, thank you.
0: Before we start our interview with you... We- before we start our interview with you, Start
2: again.
0: Before we start our interview with you, we were, are going to test your Iditarod knowledge. We have five Iditarod trivia questions for oh, you, ready? Hey, just just a moment. I'm having a hard time hearing. Yeah. Okay. Talk louder. Before we start our interview with
2: you, we are going to test your Iditarod knowledge. We have five Iditarod trivia questions for you. Ready? Uh would you repeat that for me, please?
0: Before we start our interview with you, we are going to test your Iditarod knowledge. We have five Iditarod trivia questions for you. Are you ready?
2: Okie dokie.
1: Who was the first female champion of the Iditarod?
2: Libby Riddles. Good job. What,
1: what is the half-hour <laughs> checkpoint for the <laughs> What is the halfway checkpoint for the northern route?
2: The halfway, um, uh, Ruby.
0: It's cripple.
2: Oh, cripple. Oh, okay.
0: How many minutes apart do mushers start? Three. It's two. Two.
2: <laughs> You're doing a great job. <laughs>
1: What was used for the very first finish line? Kool-Aid. Good job. Who has the fastest finish time?
2: Uh, I believe it's uh, Mitch C V.
1: Correct.
0: Nice job, Monterey. You got three out of five. Now on to finding more about who you are.
2: Okay.
1: First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, I was raised in Alaska. I started teaching school when I was in seventh grade. And that led to a teaching degree and wanting to write um, the book that I wrote about Joe Reddington. Um, The books that I did write, I wrote three books, were because we did not have books on different subjects and there was nothing written about Joe at that time, so I thought I would try and write that. Um, I have three children, they're all grown. Um, One is a teacher. And one is a builder, and, and one is uh, uh, working in Washington, D.C. as an executive secretary. Um, I love dogs. When I was teaching out in the bush, I taught in Arctic Village, which is north of the Arctic Circle. It's the furthest north Indian village in North America. I got my first dog, and her name was Punkin, and she was a wonderful dog. Very alert and astute and filled with love. Um, I don't know. Do you have any questions you want to ask me?
1: <laughs> Can you tell us why you were teaching in seventh grade?
2: Um... You know, I really don't know why. The principal, um, it was in Eagle River, and it was grades one through eight, and the principal called me out of my class one day and said, Katie, we need a substitute. And so I said, okay, what do I do? (laughs) And the teachers in the school uh, were very helpful, and I substituted all the time in 7th and 8th grade. Um, in ninth grade I had to go into Anchorage to school so that ended the teaching, but I did teach in the summers at different in different programs. I don't know why he called me. I taught first grade through 8th grade. I taught my peers, which was the scariest thing to do.
1: <laughs> That's crazy. We are in 7th grade.
2: Yeah, can you imagine?
1: <laughs> no, I'd yeah. be very scared. <laughs>
2: yeah, I was.
1: <laughs> you have taught elementary school to Natives in Alaska. Can you talk to us about how that is different than teaching non-Native students?
2: Um, well, the... Uh, uh, in my experience, and I'm sure it's still true today, um, some of the things that you, are, you know, uh, you are familiar with or that we are familiar with in the city. Um, they are not familiar with, and so when they have reading books and and the testing that you kids do. Um, they are unfamiliar with some of the terms or the lifestyle. And so, and the vocabulary now, when I was teaching in Arctic Village, English was a second language. And so Gwich'in was their first language. And so I had to um, change my vocabulary in order to communicate with the children um and they were speaking or they could understand a third or fourth grade level of English. Um the lifestyle is different. It's more uh there's more connection with the outdoors and nature and animals than in the city. Um but the creativity is the same. The enthusiasm is the same. Um, the joy is the same. The, the classrooms are smaller, uh, and also, I had in Arctic Village I had first through fourth grade students, and then when I was teaching in Chungnak, it was first through no, it was fourth grade through sixth grade. And um, so there were, you know, wide ranges of, of learning that is going on. What else would be different? Kids are kids wherever they are. <laughs> it's just the subjects and things that they are familiar with or not familiar with. That's, that makes studying... Um, a little bit more of a challenge for kids who haven't been exposed to a lot of the city way of life and conversation.
0: Thank you. What inspired you to write a book about the Iditarod?
2: Well, every month I would have the children read a different genre. And the one that they least liked was um, the biography section. So I thought, I'm going to look for some biographies that that they will be interested in reading. And I thought, there's got to be some biographies about people in Alaska that the kids could identify with, particularly the boys, but also the girls. And um, I couldn't find any. And I thought, well, surely there's something about joe i mean everybody knows about joe and nobody had written anything and the race had been on for i don't know 10 12 years maybe and so i decided i would write a book about him but i also learned that i could not write and teach school at the same time Uh, it was very difficult i I started writing and I'd read it to the kids and they were very interested but I just didn't have the time so after I retired I picked up the phone and I called Joe and asked him if I could write his biography and talk about why he achieved what he did. I mean I was looking specifically at the qualities and at the beginning of each chapter are quotes, and some, most of those quotes were ones that I used in my classroom every year to talk about qualities and ways of thinking that would help to make my students successful. And it took, um, <laughs> even being retired, it took 14 years before I could get the book written. Because I was homeschooling my children and building, my husband and I built our house, and I was taking care of my mother-in-law, you know, life got in the way. (laughs) But I finally got it done. I persevered. I figured if Joe Reddington could get his dogs to the top of Mount McKinley when everyone said it was impossible or get dog team clear across across Alaska, when everyone said it was impossible, then I could certainly write a book.
1: We are going to ask you to tell us some stories that are in the book, but first, can you give the listeners a quick summary about the book?
2: It's the story of Joe Reddington. Um, he wanted me to write about his whole life, so... He, the first part is about when he was a child and then went into the military, what brought him to Alaska and his love for dogs from the time he was very young, and what led to the Iditarod. One of the things Joe said when I was talking to him was, Katie, the Iditarod isn't me. I don't want to be remembered just because of the Iditarod because everything in my life led up to the Iditarod. And so he wanted to make sure that I included in this book um, all sorts of things that happened in his life that allowed for the Iditarod to be a successful race. And then it's about things that happened to him in in the Iditarod and how our experiences, or his experiences, and it's true for all of us too, lead us to do things or invent things that we never even thought of.
1: We know one of the chapters is about Joe starting the Iditarod. Tell us about that story.
2: Um, in 19... 19- 1967, we had a hundredth, it was the hundredth year for the state of uh, Alaska's purchase from Russia. And there was a lady, Dorothy Page, who wanted to celebrate the hundredth year birthday of Alaska with a dog race. And she was new to Alaska, but she had heard of the idea Iditarod Trail but no one really knew about it and so people said well talk to Joe Reddington he's the one who knows all about the Iditarod Trail because he lives along it and so she did she said is there any possibility we could have a dog sled race on the Iditarod and Joe said sure Um, and so for the 100th birthday they had a little race on 25 uh, 25 miles of the iditarod and then the race died now because joe lived on the iditarod trail and he thought history was very very important and because he loved the alaskan huskies he wanted to make sure that um the history of the Iditarod Trail was uh, preserved and at that time nobody knew what he was talking about really they didn't know where it was what it was used for anything and um Joe met the last mail carrier along the Iditarod Trail between Karnik and Rainy Pass And Lee Alexon hooked him on the history of the Iditarod. And so Joe wanted to preserve the history of the Iditarod Trail. And after that race in in 1967 um, ended, he said, you know what? The only way to get people to preserve this trail because all my letters haven't worked in the past is to have another race so I want a race to Iditarod and everyone said where's Iditarod what's that and then somewhere in the conversation with all these people someone said well people know where Nome is why don't we have a race to Nome and so that's how the race got started Joe wanted to preserve um, the history of the Iditarod Trail and also um, the Alaskan sled dog, because when he first came to Alaska in, in the 19, well, 1948 and in the early 50s, he was going out to all the villages and there were dogs, dog teams everywhere. But in the 60s, the snow machine had replaced the dogs and Joe thought that was really, really sad, and he did not want to see that. And he thought if he had a race and the the a long race all the way across Alaska through Alaskan villages, that would help preserve the Alaskan husky as well as the Alaskan or the as well as the uh, Iditarod trail. And so that's what happened.
0: Thank you. Another chapter talks about when Joe climbed alley with his dogs. Talk to us about that story.
2: <laughs> that was quite a story. When I was talking to Joe about that, he said, You know what, Katie? That's one story you really have to put in this book because it's a story that I have wanted to get written, but um, never. it never happened. So he talked to me about this story um he was fishing on the susitna river and he met a man named ray Genet. and ray Janay was a short adventurous fellow just like joe was a short fellow adventurous fellow and they got to talking and you know really hit it off and at that time during the Iditarod. um the veterinarians were saying dogs could do certain things and one of the things was that they their their hearts would not be able to take higher elevations and Joe knew that was not true but the veterinarians said you're wrong Joe and he got tired of the vets telling him <laughs> what dogs could do because he knew what they could do having traveled all over Alaska and been with his dogs all over northern Alaska, I should say. So he, in this conversation with Ray Janae, he said, say, you are a, um, you lead teams of climbers up McKinley. Would you take me and my dogs up to the summit of McKinley? I want to prove that what dog these Alaskan Huskies can do. And Janae said, sure, that would be great. Well, then, for 10 years, every year, Joe was ready to go up. And Janae said, I can't take you because I have too many uh, paying customers. And then Joe put a letter in the newspaper. He said, I'm tired of this. I'm going to say I'm climbing Mount McKinley in 1979. And just announced it to everybody. So it would put Janae on the spot. Well, Joe got ready, went, got up to the camp uh, at the base of the mountain, and got a note from Janae that said, I'm sorry, Joe, I can't take you up the mountain. And Joe said, that's okay, Janae. I will be the team leader, and I'm going to take my dogs up to the summit myself. And Janae said, well, if anybody can do it, you can but I will help you as much as I can. And, um, and so Joe and um, Libby, I mean, um, Susan Butcher was his dog handler. She was learning how to much dogs from Joe. And Joe asked her if she wanted to go with him on this, this trip. And, of course, Susan said, sure. And so the two of them went up to McKinley and um they took their best dogs and they joke discovered that they should not have done that because they had so much power and the dog couldn't run they didn't need uh distance stamina they just needed dogs to pull the sleds which were basically pretty empty most of the time um not really heavy like on the Iditarod Trail. And they had just come off the Iditarod Trail, so the dogs were really in top form. So of the seven, four made it to the top, Buster, Lucas, Candy, and Tekla. And they had some pretty exciting things that happened on the mountain, um, which is in the book. I don't know if there's any in particular you want to know, but... One of the funny things that happened was when they got to the top um, and they were up, it was such a beautiful, clear day and they were walking around, looking at everything. Joe could see where the Iditarod Trail was. I mean, it was just fabulous. Um, Then Janae said, okay, Joe, how are you going to get these dogs down? And Joe had this big pause and said, uh... I, you know, I never thought about how I was going to get the dogs down, and Janae just about went through the roof. He was so mad, but they did, they tied ropes to each other, and they just were able to get down through the real tough spots and made it just fun.
0: That's a
1: pretty so. cool story. What is your favorite story about Joe?
2: Oh, what is my favorite story? Um, well, one of them is, uh, not in the book, but, um, he was, well, part of the story is in the book, um, I believe. He was racing and and going, um, ...down to the Happy River, and it's a real windy, narrow trail down a steep incline. And three sleds piled up. They were coming around the corner, and the first musher crashed, and then a second musher came around and crashed. And then then Joe came around, and and they were all tangled up. And uh, nobody was hurt. The dogs were fine. They were able to get everybody untangled... But it concerned Joe very much because he, he couldn't stop his team. And I think at that time he had 18 dogs. And um, so all the way to Nome, and this was what Joe did, which everything, everything he did, the man was always thinking about something, doing something better. Uh, all the way to Nome, he was thinking about Making a break that would stop the sled, an 18 dogs, uh, sled dog team, so that crashes like this would not happen. And so when he came back, he worked on that with a friend of his and came up with a break that would work. It would stop 18 dogs. And proved it on Connick on Lake. Everyone thought that, that that wouldn't be possible, but when, whenever anyone said something wasn't possible, Joe would <laughs> disprove them. And so he ended up with a break that worked. It was heavier than what everyone wanted, but Joe said you know, he was savvy, wilderness savvy. Um, he did not ever want people to be uh, in any kind of danger. And so he was always taking steps to prevent anything from happening. And this break was one. But because of the heaviness of the break, the mushers didn't want it because it slowed them down and they wanted to get to know fast. But Joe said, told me, he said, you know, Katie, look at my hands how many fingers do I have? And I said, 10. And he said, if I took my shoes off, how many toes do you think I'd see? 10? He said, yes. And he said, that's why. Um, I do the things that I do. And he never raced a race after that, where he didn't use that brake. One of the other things I want to tell you kids, too, um, that Joe told me when I was interviewing him, he said, I want you to tell any kids that you talk to um, never to give in to fear. He said, um, if they find themselves in a situation where uh, they don't know what to do and they're frightened, tell them to look around, see who they can talk to, see what they can do, get out of that situation, then go home, sit down, have a cup of cocoa, and then be afraid. <laughs> okay. And you will read in this story a book, a time when he was a boy and got stuck in a culvert and how he had to talk to himself um, and reason through how he could get out of that culvert or uh, the importance of te- teaching his sons. If I tell you to do something, you do it immediately. You don't be afraid. You do what you're told immediately. Get out of that situation, like when Joey was on the boat and the, and the, a stickleback turned upside down in the inlet. You get out of that situation and then be afraid. So. It's really important to be a good thinker. You, all of you, are good thinkers. You can reason through things. And never give in to fear. Be logical in your thinking. So there's a message from Joe Reddington to all of you kids. It's a very important little message that he wanted me to always pass on.
1: He sounds like a very determined man. (laughs)
2: that one right he sure was
1: the next part of our show we call lightning round we have five questions for you to answer as quick as you can ready <laughs> <I guess. laughs> favorite kind of dog
2: um, I like the, a mix of lab or husky mix
0: winter or summer
2: winter
1: favorite kind of ice cream Oh,
2: my gosh. Chocolate, I guess. Dogs or
1: cats? Dogs. Favorite book? The Bible. We are asking all of our guests this ne- this question. Who are three people you feel would be great guests on our show?
2: Hmm. Um. Talk to Dan Seavey? Yeah,
1: young Dan or older Dan?
2: The younger Dan. We've
1: talked to Dan. I mean, excuse
2: me the older Dan. No the one
1: that's a good one.
2: That ran in the first race.
1: No we'll add him.
2: He would be great. He's a school teacher and his the money uh, they didn't quite earn enough money at the end of the race that for the first race and Joe said, hey, Dan, you're the only one that's making any money. Could we borrow (laughs) $3,000 to finish off the purse? So he would be a good one. Um, uh, another one. Oh, hang on just a minute. I've got, his name is just escaping me. Um, Hoff. His last name is B O M H O F F, and he ran in the Iditarod and was very instrumental in the first few years. Another one would be Norman Vaughn. Norman, uh, John Norman. Excuse me. Have you talked to John? No. He did not run in the Iditarod, but it was because of John that we still have the race today. Because he believed in Joe's dream, and what a neat fellow that that man is.
1: Finally, what's your favorite song?
2: My favorite song. Yeah. Oh, let there be peace.
1: Thank you so much for the stories about Joe and taking and talking with us today.
2: Oh, it's been my pleasure. I wish I could be there in person so that I could answer more questions that you might have. Special
1: thanks to our guest, Katie Mangelsdorf. For being on our show this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please stop by iTunes and leave us a review. It helps us with our ratings. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or people you would like to hear on the show, email at us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com. If we hear from you or you leave a review, we will read it on the show. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, the I Did the Rod Song. And now enjoy a clip from Katie's favorite song, Let There Be Peace.